Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Safety should be a priority, if not the priority, when choosing a vehicle. And for many consumers, it is. But how do you know whether one vehicle is safer than another? And how safe are you as a driver? One of the most respected sources of information about vehicle and driver safety is the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, an organization that conducts what many consider the toughest crash tests for new cars and trucks. But safety involves a lot more than crash tests, and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety does much more than crash vehicles. It is a major source of vehicle safety research and a leading advocate for safety improvements. My guest today will be David Zuby, the Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer of the IIHS. We will talk about crash tests, collision avoidance systems, driver distraction, and other safety issues. Before we do, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. If the Toyota Camry is on your wish list, you might want to hold off on buying one. A Toyota executive said at the Los Angeles Auto Show this week that the Camry sedan will receive significant attention for the 2015 model year, indicating the best-selling car in the U.S. will receive some important changes next year. Though the executive gave no details, that could mean styling changes, mechanical updates, more safety features, or all of the above. The Camry has been the best-selling car in the U.S. the last 12 years, including this year, but it has a lot of newer competition in the mid-sized sedan market. The Ford Fusion, Honda Accord, and Nissan Altima were all redesigned for 2013, and the Hyundai Sonata has a fresh look and more standard features for 2014. The Camry was redesigned for the 2012 model year. Under a typical five-year cycle for a vehicle design, Significant changes are usually made in the third or fourth year, so the Camry is due for some updates for 2015. Meanwhile, the updates for the Honda Civic just keep coming. The Civic was redesigned for 2012, and Honda took the unusual step of making major revisions to the sedan for 2013, just one year later. They included new front and rear styling, a stronger structure, for better performance and crash tests, changes to the steering and suspension, larger brakes, better interior materials, and standard Bluetooth and a backup camera on all models. Now, for 2014, the Civic Coupe's Coupe gets many similar changes. And if you buy a Civic with an automatic transmission, it will be a new continuously variable transmission, or CVT. Until now, the Civic has used a 5-speed automatic transmission. Sales of the 2014 Civic begin December 4th. A growing number of cars come with continuously variable automatics, including the Honda Accord, several Nissan and Subaru models, the 2014 Toyota Corolla, and most hybrid vehicles. The Ford Mustang will celebrate its 50th anniversary in April and Ford will unveil a redesigned Mustang for the 2015 model year on December 5th. Ford has dropped hints that the new Mustang will have more modern styling and more efficient engines and transmissions. The Mustang is one of the longest-running models in the auto industry. The first one debuted at the World's Fair in New York in 1964. And speaking of anniversaries... The Dodge brand will celebrate its 100th anniversary in 2014. Dodge will mark the occasion with anniversary editions of the Charger and Challenger. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. We are discussing vehicle safety today, a topic that encompasses many variables. Crashworthiness, braking ability, resistance to rollovers, size, weight, and the biggest variable of all, the person behind the wheel. 
but there have been many safety advances over the last 25 years, such as requiring front airbags in all vehicles, electronic stability control, active head restraints, and more recently, systems that recognize when a collision is about to happen and they automatically apply the brakes before it happens. These improvements have helped lower the highway death rate per mile driven by more than 50% since 1985. One of the advocates behind many of those safety improvements has been the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. It is an organization funded by the insurance industry that conducts crash tests, other safety-related tests, and performs extensive research into driver and vehicle safety. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has continuously poked, prodded, and pushed Congress, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and the auto industry to make changes aimed at reducing traffic deaths and injuries. Here to talk about safety with me today is David Zuby, the Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer of the IIHS. Welcome to the show, David. Good afternoon, Rick. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for uh, having us on your show uh, to talk about the work that we've been doing to improve vehicle safety. Well, um, first of all, you know, I mentioned that you do conduct uh, a series of crash tests. Can you explain what you do and how they're different from those conducted by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration? Sure. So uh, in developing crash tests uh, at the Insurance Institute, we've tried to address problems that are not um, currently being addressed by federal motor vehicle safety standards or crashes run under the government's new car assessment program. So in the case of frontal crashes, for instance, um, the government tends to um, write its regulations and so far as rating frontal crash worthiness on the basis of crash into a flat wall. Uh, but uh, our research, as well as researchers from people around the world, has shown that, um, you know, that only represents a relatively small segment of the wide range of frontal crashes that vehicles experience. So we've developed two um, frontal crashes that involve um, only hitting a portion of the front end of the car. So you sort of get a asymmetric pattern of damage with a you know concentration of the damage on one side or the other in front of the driver or in front of the passenger such as if uh, a vehicle crosses a center line and uh, you know the one half of that car hits the one half of your car exactly i mean um, our tests represent um, the range of things that occur when cars don't hit each other center line to center line which is you know what the flat wall test right represents you know so um when you look at real crashes, you know whether that's at junked cars and junkyards or, or um, data files that the government and, the, and various states keep, you see a lot of damage pattern that looks like the damage patterns that our crash tests create. And it turns out um, that performing well in a flat barrier test doesn't necessarily get you uh, good crash protection in these um, other kinds of frontal crashes. So through our crash tests, we've um, you know got the automatic makers to uh, focus on um, making their front crash protection systems more robust by focusing on the wider range of uh, frontal crashes that occur rather than on just a single sliver of crashes. Now, the, uh, you, you do two frontal crashes. One is the moderate uh, overlap, and the other one's a small overlap. What are the key differences? Right. So we've been doing the moderate um, overlap since 1995, and we just introduced the small overlap in 2013. Um, the difference basically is the amount of the front end that in, is engaged with um, the crash barrier. In the moderate overlap, we're basically hitting about half the front end, so from the center line over to the driver's side of the car. In the small overlap, um, we're aiming to hit about half of that area against the barrier, so most of the damage is outside um, the, the frame rail structures underneath the hood. Ah, so so it's uh, uh, the driver's side perhaps will get the brunt of it then. Yeah, exactly. That um, you know most of the force goes straight into the um, hinge pillar for the front door, the mm-hmm. driver's front door, and and also the um, footwell area um, around the driver's feet. Now this is, it's a it's a more severe test than the uh, moderate overlap, correct? R- r- right. Um, the chief difference here is that um, in most cases we miss 
you know, the main rail at the front of the vehicle, mm. structural rail. When you hit that rail, um, you get all of that structure um, crushing ahead of the occupant compartment. When you miss that rail, um, you know, a lot more force comes straight into the occupant compartment. So what we're trying to encourage here is either add additional structures up front to, to sort of deflect the vehicle away from its crash partner or make sure that the occupant compartment is strong enough to take that extra force. The uh, and 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 as you mentioned earlier, a majority of collisions are more likely to be um, a partial uh, front end crash and not the whole front end. Oh, exactly. I mean, if it, it, you don't have to look very far uh, or too many frontal crashes before you realize that most of them have sort of an asymmetric damage pattern. They're not always on the driver's side. You know, often they're they're on the on the passenger side as well, but. Um, we run our tests on the driver's side because we figure every car that's going to crash ha- probably has a driver in it. Okay, <laughs> likely indeed. Um, now, now the the top score for many years, I think, with the uh, in your crash test has been the top safety pick. And and how do you designate uh, cars that do well in the uh, small overlap test? Yeah, we we created top safety pick back in two thousand six. And it was intended as a shortcut way for people coming to our website to find out which cars we recommend most highly because they earn the best ratings in all of our all of our crash tests. When we introduced the um, small overlap crash test, um, you know, we had a lot of manufacturers that had done a lot of work to earn top safety pick, mm-hmm. and we recognized it was a new crash test, um, and and we wanted to recognize that those manufacturers had done the extra work to provide good protection in the a small overlap crash test, but we didn't want to um, undersell the importance of good ratings in the test that we've been doing all along. So we created something called Top Safety Pick Plus. So um, vehicles that earn good ratings in our older crash tests, the front moderate overlap, the side impact, the roof strength, and head restraint test, um, get a Top Safety Pick. And those that do um, at least an acceptable or good rating in our new small overlap test are designated Top Safety Pick Plus. How much uh, lead time or warning did you give auto manufacturers that you're going to be using this additional tougher test? Oh, we've been working since 2008 or 9 on a new crash test. Um, we did research looking at um, what kinds of frontal crashes still remained for vehicles that already did well in the moderate overlap crash test. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the small overlap configuration and the um, sort of center tree hit kind of uh, condition were ones that, that popped up. We started doing research, and, and we've been sharing the research with the auto manufacturing industry all along. Um, so it shouldn't have been any surprise that we were introducing this new test. So they had warning that they should design for it in their vehicles. Correct. Sure, yeah. sure. I, I, I think a, a lot of people may not understand that um, safety isn't a matter of just putting airbags or anti-lock brakes on a car. Is that you actually have to design it into a structure, correct? Oh, exactly. I mean, the, the basic principle of providing protection in a crash test is that um, the parts of the car that are exterior to where you and your family are sitting, in essence, sacrifice themselves um, to absorb the energy that's associated with your movement prior to the crash. And in sacrificing themselves, um, they buy time for things like seatbelts and airbags to do their job uh, to keep you from impacting the interior of the vehicle, uh, which leads to injuries that we see in car crashes. Okay. Well, um, uh, so if a new vehicle went on sale this fall, let's say as a 2014 model, the automaker probably started on that vehicle 2009, 2010 at the latest. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it takes years of lead time, but... But they did have, then they, they had more than an inkling of what they had to design for to score well in your test. Oh, sure. And the, and the small overlap crash test problem isn't, you know, wasn't newly identified by us because um, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, engineers at Volvo were running small overlap crashes as part of their safety development. I see. Uh, and uh, they published research, you know, to the community saying, hey, this is something everybody should be paying attention to. Okay. We, we have to pause for a short break here. But when we come back, uh, I would like to ask you, who are some of the car? what are some of the cars that did well in this new small overlap test and which ones didn't do so well? 
We're talking with David Zuby, Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest is David Zuby, the Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, an organization that conducts crash tests on new vehicles as well as research on a wide range of topics concerning vehicle and driver safety. You can visit their website at IIHS.org. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Before we, uh, uh, before the break, we were talking about the small overlap crash test and which cars are, um, are earning the top safety pick plus award. And I looked on your site and here are several that I came across as scoring well in that uh, in that test. Ford Fusion, Honda Accord, and Nissan Altima, all of which were new for the 2013 model year, and the Subaru, Subaru Legacy and Outback, which may also have been new about that time. I'm not sure. Uh, the Honda Civic, which was new for 2012. Yep. Hyundai Elantra which was new for 2011, and the Subaru Impreza and Forester, which also are recent new uh, cars, newly redesigned. So some of these newer models are doing quite well in that test. Oh, yeah. We've got, um, I, th- I think, models from uh, Subaru, Volvo, and Accord um, have multiple models with good performance in this test. Mm-hmm. And um, as you noticed, that we've got, you know, models from various other manufacturers, Ford, Kia, um, Han, um, Chrysler. Um, mm-hmm. well, all. You know, yeah. I excuse, you know, excuse me, but uh, uh, two of the cars that did well in that test, which surprised me, are the Chrysler 200 and Dodge Avenger. They're related; they're corporate cousins, and those are older models. They're at the end of their model year uh, life. Right. I was rather surprised to see they did so well. Yeah. So um, you know, this uh, test. Is not an impossible one um, to, to provide good protection for, and I think you know manufacturers who were designing for a more comprehensive solution to uh, front crash protection um, were able to achieve reasonably good ratings even out of the box. Uh, well, there were some that didn't do so well, though, <laughs> and 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 among those, um, Toyota Camry, uh, Toyota Prius V, that's the wagon version of the Prius. The RAV4 SUV, those are all um, recent additions to, uh, to or, or recently redesigned, yet they all scored poor. What was uh, the shortcoming for those cars? Well, the, well, the big problem is that, um, you know, the, these vehicles don't have extra structure to try to absorb uh, crash energy ahead of the occupant compartment. And the occupant compartment is not holding up underneath the force of this test. Um, so for some reason, Toyota seems to be struggling with this uh, this new crash condition. But in our discussions with them, they assure us that they're hard at work um, on providing better uh, crash protection in this crash mode as well as the ones that they've been doing very good at up to now. You know, Toyota um uh, typically does respond well to adversity. I think you know they 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 look at they don't just look at it and do lip service. They go after the problem. So I mentioned uh, in the news portion of the show that the Camry is due for some changes for the 2015 model year. I I can't help but think that uh, safety improvements are going to be one of those. Oh yeah, I I think very very certainly um, Toyota is is looking at. Um, this crash test uh, for for the changes that they're incorporating into the Camry in the future. Okay, and and among some other newer models, uh, uh, vehicles have been redesigned the last couple of years. 
that uh, the Chevy Malibu, which was new for 2013, had a marginal score. Uh, how, what, what's its uh, uh, good, acceptable, marginal, poor? Those are the right. Our our rating levels are exactly that: good, acceptable, marginal, poor. So you know, right now we're we're trying to get everybody at least to the acceptable level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those people who are rated those cars that are rated marginal are, you know, somewhat shy of that. Basically, the problem is the same problem as those that are receiving poor problem, but poor ratings, but not to the same extent. The, the structure's just not holding up well enough to provide good protection. Right. And um, now the uh, the small overlap test you started, what, 2012? That, Correct. We, yeah. we, we published our first ratings on the basis of small overlap crash test last summer. Okay. So you don't have uh, much real-world data on how these vehicles have performed out on the road? Uh, no, we haven't had a chance to go back and study um, the relationship between crash outcomes, real crash outcomes, and the crash test ratings. But uh, we will do that um, as soon as we think there are enough uh, rated cars out there on the road um, to have had enough crashes to, to study and come to a meaningful result. Um, we've done that with all of our other crash tests. Um, we've shown, for instance, that a good rating in our moderate overlap crash test um, represents uh, nearly half the risk of dying in a frontal crash as a poor rating. Say, say that again, that uh, a vehicle that scored uh, or earned a top safety pick with the oh, moderate overlap? Yeah, so a, a vehicle that earned a good rating mm-hmm. in the moderate overlap crash test ah. um, has a, a, reduction, a 45% reduction in the likelihood of a fatality in a frontal crash versus a model with a poor rating. And that's based on real-world results? Yeah, that's based on looking at the real-world um, crash data for vehicles that we have rated. Hmm. And and uh, this information can be found on your website, how these cars have performed? Uh, so if, if listeners who are interested in our research that um, relate the ratings to uh, reductions in fatality... Um, can look up our research on our website. I think if you follow the link called Topics, mm-hmm. you can get to a bibliography of our research, and depending on whether or not uh, that paper is published by us or published in a scientific journal, um, you know, we've got information about how to get a copy of that those, that research. Hmm. Okay. Now, now, 20-some years ago, having two airbags was considered state-of-the-art. <laughs> there are some vehicles now that have 10. Um, do you have any any uh, any data or research that indicate that these airbags, the side airbags and uh, side curtain airbags, all those are uh, showing benefits? Oh, for sure. Um, side airbags and especially side curtain airbags are reducing uh, risk of dying in a side impact crash, um, you know, by about 40, 45 percent. Um, and our side impact crash worthiness test, we do a rating based on a 30-mile-an-hour side crash, um, was an effort to get manufacturers to fit uh, the side curtains um, more quickly than they would have otherwise because um, federal standards at the time we developed that test did not require protection for the head inside impact crashes. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. for, For sure, side impact airbags are are a big safety improvement, um, and front airbags are have been proven to be effective in real crashes. And, you know, so even for people who may not be in the market for a brand-new car um, or may not want to choose, you know, one that we've rated a top safety pick, plus we highly recommend that people seek out uh, cars with side airbags, especially those that offer coverage for the head. The... Uh, uh you mentioned the side curtain airbags. Are those the kind that deploy when a vehicle rolls over, or are there other instances when they may, may deploy? So the curtains um, were originally put in cars to deal with side impact crashes, sort of T-bone type crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, but increasingly, manufacturers are um, redesigning, redesigning those airbags so that they will stay inflated longer and hooking them up to sensors that can detect a rollover. 
so that they do deploy in rollover crashes. So it's right now where I think we're in a transition um, where some manufacturers uh, have side airbags that only deploy in side crashes, but other manufacturers have side airbags that deploy in both side impact and rollover crashes. Uh, Looking back prior to uh, when airbags were required or even uh, commonplace is that there was great resistance to uh, from a lot of people to use their seat belts. But uh, seat belt use is now almost universal or close to it? Yes, yeah, so I think the latest um, observational studies show that um, we're at a rate of about 85% uh, seat belt wearing in front seats. Um, that varies from state to state and varies by time of day. People tend not to wear their seat belts at night as much as they do during the daytime. Really? Um, not sure why that is, but uh, <laughs> because the police can't for. see them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, so there is there is still uh, a ways to go. Um, if we mm-hmm. can get everybody buckled up, we could we could you know easily save another three thousand lives a year. Really? Yes. Oh wow, that's a that's a lot. You know, I mean, when when um, something happens, some natural disaster, and you say three thousand people were killed, everybody goes, "Oh my God." But, you know, I mean, just uh, uh, how many thousands of people die in traffic uh, accidents? Um, it, it's more than 30,000 every year. I think the um, estimates for 2012 are uh, 32,000 and, and some odd hundred mm-hmm. were killed last year in traffic crashes. And it used to be a lot worse. I remember it used to be over 40,000. Yeah, it peaked around 50,000 back in the early 1970s, I believe. Good God, <laughs> 50,000 a year. Yeah, wow. people, there weren't as many cars on the road back then either. Oh, that's right, yeah. Probably half as many. Right. Yeah, Yeah. well, so if people don't think that uh, safety advances have paid off, there's a there's something to, to consider. We are going to have to pause for another break here, but um, when we come back, I'd like to talk about one of the you know, more recent develops with uh, developments with collision avoidance systems. And so please stay with us with our conversation on automotive safety with David Zuby of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Now more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking about auto safety with David Zuby, Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. You can learn more about what this organization does by visiting their website, iihs.org, where you will find information on crash tests, vehicle ratings, child safety, teenage driving laws, and a wide range of other topics related to vehicle and driver safety. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. One of the uh, recent developments, David, and one of the, by recent I say the last 10 years, is accident uh, avoidance systems, or collision avoidance, I should say, and they include some warning systems that you're about to run into something, and some of them also have automatic braking when they uh, recognize that a collision is about to occur. Can you talk a little bit about these systems and how the IIHS is evaluating them? Sure. Um, And, you know, some of these systems uh, are even more than 10 years old. Um, Some of the first crash avoidance systems that uh, take automatic control of vehicle functions um, include anti-lock brake systems. So, um, you know, drivers could pump the brakes to um, not lock up the brakes on slippery roads, but one thing that they couldn't do that anti-lock brakes can do is control the pumping individually at each of the four wheels. Mm. Um, And that was something that anti-lock brakes provided, which evolved into electronic stability control systems, um, which can intervene to keep um, a driver pointed in the direction that he's steering um, even if, uh, you know, he's going too fast for a, a curve or something. Um, so the, 
automated control of vehicle functions has been around, um, but it's getting even more exciting in the last 10 years because manufacturers are fitting their cars with sensors that can gather data about the environment, things like radars and cameras and lasers um, that can be used to predict collisions with other objects. Um, and, you know, in advance of the collision, give the driver a warning to take some action, or if the driver uh, doesn't take action, um, automatically um, begin braking or someday um, possibly even automatically steering the vehicle to help avoid the crash. Oh, wow. <laughs> now now you're talking technology. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, re I recently uh, was uh, uh, driving a Cadillac ATS that had collision avoidance, and it also had a head-up display that projects images ahead of the windshield. Right. You know, and... and uh, I started closing in on a car uh, ahead of me, and and there was a big red warning that uh, flashed. I did, you know, the brakes did not come on automatically, but boy, did that get my attention! Right, yeah. Um, the heads-up display does uh, show you the red lights that kind of look like uh, the vehicle's brake lights to mm -hmm. warn that uh, you're getting close. And had you not braked, um, the ATS, uh, depending on the version you were driving, uh, might have intervened with automatic braking. We've done tests of the Cadillac ATS and some other some of its competitors um, in a recent uh, study that we did, um, looking at systems that are intended to help drivers avoid front collisions. Um, and it's one of the better performing cars, both in terms of its uh, um, collision warning system and its automatic braking. Now, uh, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, the IIHS has recently opened a new facility to test uh, these systems. Uh, so we're in the process of expanding our vehicle research center. Ah. Um, so we haven't um, opened a new facility, but uh, we are expanding our outdoor testing areas so that we can do uh, more tests of these kinds of systems. Yeah, that's correct. What are some of the uh, results of the early testing? So the first series of uh, results that you know we've published are these front crash prevention systems mm -hmm. that include forward collision warning and in some cases forward collision warning with auto brake. We focused on the mid-size uh, class of vehicles, both SUVs and cars. And we've got um, some pretty impressive systems from Subaru, Volvo, Mercedes, and Cadillac um, that not only give the driver a warning but do a pretty good job of bringing the vehicle speed down, in some cases avoiding crashes altogether, um, you know, if the driver fails to take action on his own. Um, and then there are a few vehicles um, that do some automatic braking, but you know, not quite as impressive automatic braking as um, the manufacturers that I mentioned. And um, what, are, what are some of those? So some of those vehicles would be like the uh, the new Mazda Six um, or the Ford. Uh, yeah, the new Mazda Six and um, some of the other ones. Oh, the uh, Audi um, SUV and. Okay, that's the uh, uh, Q. Q7, Q5, one yeah. of those. Well, it's on your website. They, people right, exactly. So, so there are differences when when a manufacturer says, you know, we have uh, we we have automatic braking. The results, <laughs> your results may vary. That's that's definitely true. I think different manufacturers are taking uh, different approaches with introducing this technology. Um, some are being very aggressive, um, like uh, Volvo, Mercedes. Cadillac, Subaru, and others are taking a uh, slower approach, introducing, um, you know, uh, systems that do a little bit of braking to help reduce the severity of crashes, but not quite so much braking that um, they can avoid very many crashes. So so in some cases, and, and uh, maybe you can explain this how you did your test, but in some cases, the uh, uh, these automatic braking systems slowed the car, but not enough to avoid a collision? Yeah, exactly. So what, so what we've been doing is we've got a, a, a balloon car, it's basically a, just a big balloon that looks like a car, <laughs> and we drive at it at different speeds in the, you know, in the vehicles that we're testing, and we pretend that we're unattentive drivers and listen to the warning, record when that occurs with our um, data recording equipment, mm -hmm. and allow the automatic braking to intervene, and we measure how much uh, the speed is reduced. And 
some systems like the Subaru Outback um, do very well at avoiding a wide range of crashes at, at different speeds. Um, the Volvo also will avoid some crashes, but um, systems like those on uh, Acura cars, for instance, um, will slow you down. You notice you're slowing down, um, but they will hit that balloon car. The advantage of a system like that is that, you know, if it comes to that system intervening, the crash that you have will be less severe than it would have been if you uh. had not had the system on board. Boy, that's uh, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, you keep mentioning uh, uh, Subaru here with the Outback and, I guess, the legacy is that uh, they were also top safety pick plus for their performance in the crash test? That's but, correct. Yeah, uh, Subaru has been um, one of the better performers in our new small overlap crash test. Mm-hmm. They were one of the first good performers in our side crash test, and um, their new EyeSight system, which is a crash avoidance system, is uh, one of the top performing systems of those that we've tested so far. That's uh, that's pretty impressive for a moderately priced line of vehicles, and I think it's even more impressive when you consider that's a pretty small company among auto manufacturers. Yeah, it's a pretty small company compared to you know the likes of General Motors and Toyota. Yeah, but they're very dedicated to um, trying to provide their customers with the safest uh, vehicles that they're able. Very interesting. Uh, uh, now, are these um, uh, uh, collision avoidance systems at all related to um, the cruise control the, that has the automatic distance control? Exactly. Um, the advanced cruise control, um, which controls both speed and distance to the traffic in front of you, mm-hmm. um, uses the same sensors that these crash avoidance systems do. So, um, you know, on the one hand, um, when you buy these systems, you're getting the convenience of that ACC system. And on the other hand, you're getting um, some backup improved safety for a more severe situation. Hmm. I, um, I, I've used those a couple times, and I guess it's just my driving styles that rather than slow down, you know, because there's a car in front of me, I'll, I'll want to go around them. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, the systems are designed to allow you to do that, and if uh, you're on roads where it's easy to easy to change lanes and go around the slower moving traffic, that I think that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, in some cases, though, um, that's not an appropriate maneuver, and having the system uh, slow down for you is helpful. Now, are are there any of these these uh, safety systems uh, that the IIHS has found as being you know really not that effective? Yes, yeah, so, you know, the reason we started rating um, front crash prevention systems is because we'd done a series of real-world crash analyses and found that they were working. Um, but we, we also tried to study, you know, whether or not systems like lane departure warning, um, adaptive lighting systems, uh, blind spot systems were also providing benefit to drivers in real-world situations. And, for instance, we did not find a benefit of lane departure warning systems. Mm. These systems um, typically use a camera to uh, measure the vehicle's position relative to lane markings and are intended to act like um, uh, virtual rumble strips so that if you wander out of your lane without signaling an intention to do so by using the turn signal, uh, they give you a warning to tell you to you know, steer back ah. into the center of the lane. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, when we compare the experience of cars that have those systems with the same make series cars that don't have those systems, we don't see a reduction in crashes. Mm. Uh, so we're talking to auto manufacturers and uh, undertaking some additional research to try to figure out what's going on there. Now, you, you mentioned adaptive lighting. By that, I think you mean that uh, headlights that turn, that swivel with in the direction you're turning? Correct. Yeah, um, there are a number of new lighting systems, um, both different sources of light um, that manufacturers are using for headlighting systems, but also systems that um, turn in the direction that you're steering, mm-hmm. um, which is, is useful because um, a fixed headlamp, you know, the light beam sort of shoots off the tangent to the curve. That right, you're right. To go to. right. It's, it, you your, your eyes are in one direction and the lights are in another. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to look, you know, um, in the direction of the turn, but your lights are are pointed off um, at a tangent. So these um, adaptive lights um, correct that. And there are also um, automatic high beams, um, you know, Mm -hmm. in the country where there isn't a lot of street lighting a lot. um, Using manual high beams uh, 
can be a chore if you encounter traffic from time to time. You have to turn them on and then turn them back on. But these automatic systems um, automatically douse themselves, and when hmm. uh, oncoming traffic is passed, uh, turn back on automatically. Now, th- uh, those adaptive headlights, the ones that swivel, uh, have you sh- uh, had any uh, research that indicates they are effective? Yeah, we see uh, pretty substantial crash reductions for hmm. cars that have adaptive headlights versus um, their counterparts without. All right, today, so, t- today's quiz question, which was the first car to have that feature? Well, I do remember there was a movie about the Tucker. I don't know if that yes. was first. But, uh, <laughs> you, you win. <laughs> Dave, David, you get to stay on for the rest of the show. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very interesting that, because that is becoming uh, more common, uh, the adaptive headlight. You know, it's, I, I didn't realize they were that uh, that that effective. Uh, we're going to uh, pause for one last break here. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is distracted driving or driving distractions. So uh, when we come back, we will continue our conversation on safety with David Zuby of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest is David Zuby of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, and we've been discussing a wide range of topics related to vehicle safety. If you have a question or comment, call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888 888- Four six three six seven four eight. David, we've been talking about uh, vehicle safety, but the uh, other part, another part of the equation, is driver safety. And on my way here today, on a busy three or four lane street, there was a guy next to me driving, not standing still, driving and texting. And uh, if you listen to the auto manufacturers. Uh, consumers are demanding more capability to be connected within their cars and be able to do everything, you know, that they can do at home or from their office on the Internet or via uh, cell phone. What are we going to do about that? Yeah, so um, this is a potential problem. The more time people spend in their cars, um, the more uh, some of those people want to be able to do more than just drive. Um, it's important to realize that um you know, nine out of ten crashes going back as far as we've been studying them have been caused by driver error of some kind, and a lot of those errors involve... Nine out of ten? Yep. Wow. Um, involve some kind of driver distraction. Um, you know, some, sometimes it's a matter that the driver doesn't realize he's in a dangerous situation because he's distracted by some task secondary to driving. Uh, sometimes a driver, you know, makes a misjudgment, but... Um, you know, about the situation or how to deal with a situation that leads to a crash. But, yeah, there have been a n- number of studies um, documenting that um, it's about nine out of ten crashes are caused by uh, driver error as opposed to, you know, problems with the vehicle or problems with the environment. Um, and the, I think the trick of distraction is is that, um, you know, there's almost a natural tendency for people to, uh, you know, not, concentrate on a single thing all the time. Um, so th- there is a, a tendency for people to, if not text or fiddle with the navigation screen, um, to do something else, talking to passengers or, um, you know, I had a friend who used to practice trumpet in the car. <laughs> <laughs> While driving? <laughs> While driving. In fact, uh, Somebody at a conference. Somebody showed a conference the other, uh, a picture the other day of of another individual uh, try, practicing trumpet in the car. I thought my friend was uh, a singularity, but uh, it's not uncommon. Oh, this makes me want to take the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I think some of the crash avoidance technology that we were talking about um, is is a partial antidote for this human tendency to to be distracted from what they mm-hmm. should be doing. Um, you know, because the, the sensors in the cars um, don't get distracted and they don't get drunk and they don't get tired. And, you know, they can keep track of um, the situation around the driver 
and help him um, by providing uh, warnings or, or guidance, um, you know, that maybe it's time he get his attention back on the road. Mm-hmm. Has, has the IIHS uh, made any recommendations uh, recently concerning uh, uh, driver distractions? Uh, you know, we'd recommend that drivers do what they can to keep their eyes on the road. Um, but like I say, our we've got a lot of research focused on trying to promote this technology that can help for those times when drivers aren't distracted. Um, we are doing research to try to understand a little bit better, um, you know, what are the situations um, in which drivers become distracted, uh, which types of distractions take their eyes off the road, and which types of distractions keep their eyes on the road. Um, because obviously turning away from, you know, not paying attention to the road in front of you is, is a different um, distraction than one where just where only your mind is wandering, wandering. and these have different uh, levels of increases in risk, and so trying to understand that um, and, you know, ways of uh, helping drivers um, control that is, is something that, you know, we're working with other researchers to study. Uh, so, something you said uh, kind of troubles me, and, and that is that you said that, well, you know, you have sensors on these newer cars, these accident avoidance uh, systems, uh, sensors that don't go to sleep or don't get distracted, but they may fail, might they? Oh, for sure. I think one of the one of the tricks to making these crash avoidance systems uh, effective is to be sure that those sensors and the systems to which they're connected be highly reliable. Mm-hmm. But even, I mean, I, I can envision uh, situations here in the Chicago area uh, in which you get snow and ice and, you know, and the uh, it just gets uh, the sensors that do these things get covered with slush. I mean, that that can happen. I'm sure it does. Oh, it, it, sure, it sure does. And, you know, I think one of the things that we'll see going forward is uh, sensors that back up sensors. So some <laughs> sensors may be, um, you know, more uh, susceptible to blockage by snow and, and road grime, but others may be there behind the windshield, uh, which you're keeping clean with your windshield wipers that are less susceptible to uh, obstruction by the weather. I see. Well, uh, is is there anything in, uh, in what the uh, IIHS advocates or that you're uh, hearing others advocate to improve or increase driver training. So, driver training is a is a perennial um, attempt to uh, Im- improve safety, and some driver training efforts, you know, have led to improved safety, um, but not all have. And uh, it's, I think, still a matter of trying to figure out what are the effective um, ways to train drivers. So that the training sticks, mm-hmm. um, because I think you know some of the research shows that you can, by creating awareness in drivers about certain problems and how to deal with those problems, um, you know you get an effect immediately. But if that is a situation that occurs only rarely, um, they forget over time, and so the training really doesn't um, stick with them. Mm. So uh, do you think the feature is more of uh, building safety into a vehicle or, or uh, crash avoidance systems into a vehicle? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of potential um, yet to be tapped with respect to um, building the safety into the car to help the driver. Um, and, you know, I don't know that that's the only solution, um, but there seems to be a lot of promise in that direction, and so a lot of efforts going in, you know, not only on our part, but on the part of the automakers and, and the mm-hmm. government as well. And, and anything that, that you can uh, cite as something that looks especially promising? Well, um, you know, one of the things that's being looked at that um, could add to the types of crash avoidance systems we've been talking to are um, vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communications so that um, your car can know about things that you or even the sensors in your car can't see um, down the road and, you know, either provide that information to the driver to make decisions uh, about how to proceed more safely um, or to initiate autonomous or partly autonomous um, control of the vehicle to uh, put the vehicle in a more safe state. What, what kind of uh, situation are you talking about? Well, how... well for instance, uh, at intersections. Um, mm. 
you know, if, if vehicles are talking to one another and you're approaching an intersection and have the right of the way, you may not be able to see whether or not there is a car speeding on the crossing road uh, toward the intersection, um, you know, because of obstructions like trees or buildings. But vehicle right. vehicles communication could let your car know that there is a car speeding on the crossing road and that, um, you know, there may be things that you can do to avoid entering the intersection before uh, that car gets there. That is one of the uh, scariest scenarios because um, we'd all like to think that we're uh, uh, cognizant of everything that's going on around us, but if we're looking ahead, you know, trying to get through an intersection and making sure the light is green, we might not see that car speeding coming on a cross street. Oh, exactly, and, yeah. and even when you try to look down the cross street, sometimes your your view is obstructed. So, uh. mm-hmm. it sounds like David that you're uh, predicting a future of automated vehicles. Yeah, I think we're going to get there. <laughs> um, I don't know if we'll get there before uh, I start stop driving. So. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's still a long way off? But I, I think it's I think it's a long way off, or at least it's a long way off before it's pretty uh, common. Uh, that people are being driven around by automated vehicles. But mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's definitely moving in that direction. Here, here, here's one uh, uh, potential problem I see. You know, we're, we're talking about all these safety improvements and technology improvements in vehicles, but the average age of vehicles on the road today is 11 years, 11 years old. Um, and, and that would seem that it's going to take forever for these things to become commonplace. Yep, it is a huge hurdle to um, making um, what we know state of the art about safety, um, you know, reach proportions in the fleet um, that can have huge effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, well, it sounds like in the meantime, then we're all going to have to look out for each other. <laughs> right, and as we replace, um, you know, our new cars, that we, you know, look for the the safest and the greatest, so that um, you know, uh, we're, we're helping move things along. Okay. All right. David Zuby, uh, thank you very much for spending time with us today and talking about all these different uh, automotive safety topics with us. Really appreciate well, it. Thanks for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Okay. And- very informative, and I hope it's very helpful to a lot of people. Okay. Great. Okay. Take, take Talk care. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye-bye. That was David Zuby, the Executive Vice President and Chief Research Officer for the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. And that is all the time we have for this week's episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. We will be stepping away from the microphone during the upcoming holiday season, but we expect to be back on the air in January when we will start another round of shows featuring helpful, informative topics and guests who provide expert commentary and advice. Until then, you can find replays of previous shows here on TalkZone.com. Please visit my website, CarsTrucksAndBucks.com, for news updates, vehicle reviews, and information about future shows. Thanks again to today's guest, David Zuby of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. A special shout-out to my producer, Dave Olson, for his great work these last three months, and thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone. <laughs>